0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. The title of this sermon comes from verse 25 in Luke chapter 8. You remember the, uh, the, uh, the disciples were scared to death by the storm that suddenly came upon them as they were going across the Sea of Galilee. And that was often happened, but these were seasoned fishermen who had been on this lake many, many times, but they were scared to death. And so they woke Jesus up, and when Jesus spoke to the storm and the waves, the rain and the waves, and he says, peace be still, and everything went calm, that really scared them. Now the person who did this was in the boat with them, and they didn't know what to think. And so they, they asked that question, who is this? that even this, the, the wind and the waves obey his command. And so that's what this text is about. In Luke chapter 8, there's two stories here we're going to look at, two different incidents in the life of Jesus. The first one starts in verse 22, and the second one in verse uh, 26. And these two things reveal some wonderful truth about the salvation that we have received from Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior he is. He is so glorious and so far beyond our ability to grasp and to explain. But in this text, we have these two simple stories that really do reveal two wonderful things about the salvation we have received. There's an old song that I really like. It's an old uh, Southern Gospel song called Who Am I? Rusty Goodman wrote it, and the, 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 the chorus goes like this. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray not my will, thine, Lord? The answer, I may never know why he ever loved me so, that to a rugged cross he would go. Who am I? Well, that's a pretty good question. Why would he die for me? And he, probably the bigger question most of us have is why would he die for you? But there's a much greater question, that is, who is he? Who is this Jesus who could die for men and women and boys and girls? Who is this that could take our place on the cross and? and take the full force of the judgment of God against sin in himself so that we could be forgiven and made righteous in the eyes of God. And that's what, that's what the New Testament tells us about. Now, we are in Luke chapter eight, and this is this, Luke is the, one of the four gospels that tell the story of Jesus. There are four gospels that tell his story from four different perspectives. And they give us a full picture of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And so what I'd like to do is to read this text, beginning in verse 22, if you don't mind. I'm going to actually project some of it on the, on the screen in a few minutes. But at first, let me read from verse 22. This is Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Now, in one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let's go over to the other side of the lake. It's also called the sea because it's a, a fairly large lake, not near as big as Lake Tahoe, but it's a lake that was big and it was there could be storms on this sea that were really amazing and yet these fishermen had been there and so they should not have been afraid it must have been a really terrible storm that is stirred up here it says but as they were sailing along he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake and they began to be swamped that is the boat began to fill up with water and they were going to sink and they were in danger they came to Jesus and woke him up saying master Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waters, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? Now remember, they had seen him heal the sick and even raise the dead. And so he was wondering, Where is your faith? Why were you so afraid, since I was in the boat with you? And the great confession has already been made by the apostle Peter, who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet, what they had came up against, kind of like what people are going through today in Florida, but notice in verse 25, And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. What kind of savior is this? Who has all power and all authority. And then notice the next episode, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. It's across the lake. And when he came out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. Quite later, he was demonized. He was... was, uh, was put upon by these demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and he was not living in the house in a house but in in the tombs seeing Jesus he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice what business do you have with with each other Jesus what business do we have with each other Jesus son of the most high God I beg you do not torment me for he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of him for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. Now, Legion typically meant a, an army of five to 6,000 men. But this demon says his name is Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go into the abyss, If you read the book of Revelation, you know the abyss was the bottomless pit where these fallen angels had been kept in custody until the final judgment. Now these demons had not gone to the abyss and so they plead with him, don't send us into the abyss, into the bottomless pit. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there, and the reason was this is a Gentile area, not a Jewish area. There were a a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, And the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, their entire herd had had committed suicide, had gone into into the lake. When they saw what had happened, They ran away and reported to the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting there at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen and reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had then been made well, and all the people of the country of the Garrisons and the surrounding district asked him to leave them. They were afraid of him. They were scared by this power that he had to cast out demons, for they were gripped with fear, and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, that is, back to Capernaum, where his headquarters were, but he sent him away, saying to him, this is what he says to this man who'd been healed. The demons had been cast out of him. He'd been made whole. And Jesus says to him, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city great which, what great things Jesus had done for him. These two stories reveal something that's really important, and that is the very nature of salvation that Jesus has brought to all those who believe on him. There are two different words used in the New Testament to describe salvation, primary words. One of them means to be delivered from danger. Now, the most dangerous thing that we face as human beings without Christ is the day of judgment that's coming in the future. We'll look at that in a second. But there are many other things. And the, word, the first word for salvation means to be saved, delivered from that which would destroy us. The second word means to be made whole internally. In fact, it's the word that's used, it's, it's the primary word for salvation, but it's the word that was used for the healings that Jesus accomplished. These two, these two parts of the whole package of salvation, one is deliverance from that which will, would destroy us, and the second is to be made whole internally. And these two stories illustrate that so well. First of all, we have a Savior who can deliver you from danger. That's who he is. Who is this? He's the one who can deliver you from danger. And we're going to look at what that is in just a second. And secondly, he's a Savior who can restore your soul. He can make you whole. He can take away those things that are causing you to be all shattered on the inside. There's an old gospel song called Pieces, and it's about Jesus who takes all the pieces of our lives and puts them back together again. And there's wholeness. Jesus makes us whole. It comes through the new birth. It comes through us receiving the life of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. And so this, this, these stories here give us a picture of both of these things. A savior, he's a Savior who can deliver you from danger. He's a Savior who can restore your soul. And in fact, in Psalm 23, I made my wife quote Psalm 23 to me this morning so I could remember the flow of the context. But in, chapter, in verse 3 of Psalm 23, it says that he restores our soul. Remember that? i would make you all quote Psalm 23. He, he, he restores our soul. This is, this is the experiential side of salvation, that we have internal peace like we've never had before when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's hard to stop talking about it because he does something so glorious and deep inside of our hearts. He gives us a new heart, we're told. In in other words, we now have a heart to worship the true and living God. And he gives us wholeness. And so these two stories tell us that. Now I'd like you to look, first of all, this how this first story tells us that he's a savior who can deliver you from danger. One of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, but as as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. A storm fell upon them, and it began to shake everything up. I was watching the news this morning and there's some reporters that are standing in this wind that was like 80 miles an hour trying to report. And I'm thinking, why don't you get someplace safe? You look like you're about to be blown away. Well, that was what was going on here. And, And as I said, these are seasoned fishermen. They have been on this lake many times in these small fishing boats. And here's Jesus. There was probably two different boats, but Jesus and his disciples are going across the lake. And it says, they came to Jesus and woke him up. You ever fall asleep in a boat? My dad used to want to, he, my dad loved to go fishing. And the way he would do it when I was a little kid is he would come home <clears throat> from work, maybe eight o'clock, say, hey, we're going to go fishing. Get your stuff together. And we would drive to Clear Lake and fish all night because you could fish at night at Clear Lake. So we'd fish all night and then he would drive home in the morning. And so I'm going to tell you, I fell asleep many times in a boat like this but I couldn't calm the sea that's what Jesus does and so they they wake him up master master we're perishing and he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm and he said to them where is your faith they were fearful and amazed fearful and amazed you remember the story of Abraham when he offered up his son Isaac God told him I want you to go and offer your son Isaac his only son the son through whom God made many promises he was going to accomplish in the world through that son. And he tells him, I want you to go up on Mount Sinai. I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. He goes up on the mountain, and he's about ready to slay his own son and offer him up in sacrifice. God says, stop. Now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you fear me. To fear God doesn't mean that you tremble and quake and you're afraid he's going to zap you. It means that you have such high respect for him that you know that he is the God who is revealed to us in the word of God. And so when God says, I know you fear me now, don't touch your son. And he provided a substitute. This is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He is our substitute. He took our place on the cross and suffered the very penalty of sin that was due us. And so when they say, who is this then that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? This is the Savior that we have. That he is able to do this. A Savior who can deliver you from danger. I wanted to show you this little map. This is the Sea of Galilee. It really is a lake, but it's called the Sea of Galilee. It's only, the deepest part of it is only like 200 feet, which isn't real deep for a, a good-sized lake. And there would be storms on this lake because of the mountains around it the winds would come down and blow and so these fishermen had experienced this before but this was a different kind of storm this was a storm that was about to swamp them and cause their boat to sink and so they're very fearful now watching these people who are suffering from these hurricanes you can, you can just imagine what it would feel like to see everything that you owned being destroyed right before your eyes, and realizing that it could destroy you. And that's what they were feeling when they woke Jesus up. So we need to ask the question, does he always deliver us whenever you ask? Do you have any pressing problems? If you were to talk to the people in Florida today, The Christian's there. Do you think he's going to deliver you? Some would say, I don't know. He hasn't delivered you every time you were in danger, has he? Why is that? Well, he doesn't deliver you according to your schedule. And here's the reason. This is what Paul says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of what happened to me in Asia Minor, that we were tested beyond our ability to bear I know you probably have heard, God will never test you, allow you to be tested beyond your ability to bear, but that isn't true. He'll never, let, he'll never let you be tempted to sin without giving you a way of escape, but he will allow you to be tested beyond your ability to survive. And here's what Paul says. Why did he do it? Why does he let you be tested? Why does God allow you to go through difficulties? I know some of you are going through some really difficult times. Why does God allow that? He's able to stop it he's a sovereign God of the universe but Paul says he did this so that we would no longer, we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead see this is our big struggle is trusting the one true and living God the God who raises the dead this is what what Abraham did, we're told in Hebrews 11 the reason Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son is because he believed that God was able to raise the dead and he is He's able to raise the dead, and so notice why do you, why do you need deliverance? Let me show you three verses. First, Verse, uh, John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who believes in the Son, he who has put his trust in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has eternal life. Eternal life means God's life. It isn't just that you live forever; it's that you have God's kind of life that he gives it to you through his Son. In fact, 1 John five eleven and 12 says, this is the testimony that God has given to us, eternal life. That is the life of God. This life is in his Son, and whoever has the Son has the life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. And so he says here in John three thirty six, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not be- obey the Son, you see what he's doing here? He says believing the Son is obeying the Son. Because God has commanded that you believe in His Son, that you trust His Son. And so when we refuse to trust His Son, we are in disobedience to God. What's the great commandment? You know, the Gospel of John has the great confession in chapter 16, the great commandment in chapter 22, and the great commission in chapter 28. The great commandment, when Jesus was asked by a lawyer, what's the greatest commandment in the law?, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But these are the two great commandments of God, that we love God and we love people. That's what Christians are called to do in obedience to Christ. And, then, and so here he says, if you do not believe in the Son, if you don't love the Father enough to, to believe him, when he tells you, believe on my Son, and your sins will be forgiven and you'll be given eternal life, That's a great act of rebellion. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to send the spirit. When the spirit comes, he's going to convict you, convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he says this, of sin because they do not believe in me. This is the great sin that condemns a person, is when they refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All you got to do is investigate to find out if it's true. Did he really do what we claim that he did? That's exactly what the Bible says. In fact, the verse that probably every person in this room knows, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Perish means to be ruined for that which you were created for. And then in 2 Thessalonians, so the first thing is: the reason I need deliverance is if I, I am condemned. I have the judgment of God hanging over me until I put my faith in Christ. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it tells us about the final day of judgment. Somebody sent me an email this week and asked me if we were in the end times. Well, of course we're in the end times. We're in the last days. That's what the New Testament teaches. Since the, since the ascension of Christ back to the Father and pouring out the Spirit, we're in the last days. That means you cannot, you cannot know when Christ is coming. But you'll know when it happens. Write a book and put down a date that you have figured out when he's coming and you can be totally dead wrong. Count on it. Because nobody knows the day or the hour. And it's amazing that we've had probably half a dozen books written by guys who say they know when he's coming. They set the dates and the dates passed and he didn't come. And so what'd they do? They wrote another book. Because no one knows the day he is coming. coming. We are living in the last days. Jesus could come at any moment. That's what the Bible says. And so in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, it says about those who have rejected Christ, it says, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It's amazing to me to think about this, that every human being on the face of the earth has experienced the presence of the Lord in this sense. You couldn't hold a baby in your arms and look it in the face without seeing the evidence of the heart of the living God. And imagine what it would be like to be put away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. That's the threat here. It says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Now, I know this, you know, when you're sharing Christ with somebody and you show them this kind of passage, sometimes it makes them angry. Like you're hateful. No, we're just telling you what the Word of God says. And God says you can flee to the cross. You can flee to Christ. You can put your faith in Christ and believe on Him. And your sins will be forgiven and you will be prepared to meet that final day. In fact, notice this, Romans 5.10 Paul says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Everybody who puts their faith in Christ is reconciled to God. He says, since this is true, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is alive, and he's going to save us on this last day. When he comes to bring judgment on the world, he's going to bring salvation to his people. That's what we're looking forward to, the coming of Christ. He's coming. He's coming for his people. He's coming to bring judgment on all those who have rejected God and God's offer of salvation, and he's going to come to save all of those who have trusted in his Son. So that's what we, this is what we need to be delivered from. We need to be delivered from the judgment of God. I once was baptizing, at that time, a little girl who's an adult now, and I said to her, you know, I was questioning her about, her about why she wanted to be baptized. And I said, she said, well, I'm, God saved me and I want to be baptized to testify what he did. And I said, well, what did he save you from? She said, from God. <laughs> and so I said, what do you mean? She says, well, there's a judgment day coming. And when he saved me, he saved me from his judgment. I said, you're exactly right. That's, that is exactly true. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he saves you from this judgment that's coming. And then notice this. He's also a savior who can restore your soul. He can restore your soul. Man, it's amazing to me what the, the, the things that we look to to restore our soul. All kinds of medications and processes that's going to give us peace. But there's only one way to have peace. And that's the prince of peace. And he's able to do that. And notice these words here again, another eye test. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 31. Then they sailed to the country of the, of the Gadareans, Gerasenes. It's, it's Gerasenes in this book, it's Gadareans in Matthew and Mark. Same people, just a slightly different spelling. Which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out into the land... He was met by a man from, this, from the city who was possessed with demons. He was a demon-possessed man, a demonized man, a man who had he, nothing made sense about him. He couldn't live with other people because he was so out of control. His whole life was out of control. It says he had not put on clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Living in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High. It's really interesting. Every time Jesus confronts a demon, they will call him by who he really is, the eternal Son of God. But guess what? Jesus doesn't want demons to bear testimony to him. He wants people who are saved by him to bear testimony to him. And so he always hushes the demons. He always shuts them up. But he will never shut you up if you put your faith in Christ. He wants you to speak about him to others and confess the truth about him. He says, I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For it it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under God. And yet he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to to command them to go away to the abyss. And as I mentioned before, the abyss is this place of it's called the bottomless pit. In one place it's called Tartarus. It's a place that God is holding them captive until the final day of judgment. There are demons still in the world, as far as we know, but there's coming a day when they're going to stand in judgment before God, and they're being held captive until that day so they don't want to go to the abyss now notice what he says then in verses 32 through 38 now there was a herd of many swine feeding there by the way a lot of times you read this you wonder what are these Jews doing herding swine well these aren't Jews these are Gentiles this is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee so these are Gentiles and I'm a Gentile and so I like pulled pork I don't know about you so we can eat pork it's no problem because we're not under the mosaic law. So this isn't some Jews that are doing the wrong thing these are gentiles who don't know Christ and need a savior. And he's he's about ready to prepare an evangelist to take the gospel to them by delivering him from this demonic oppression. And listen to what it says. The demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine and they did. He gave them permission and the demons came out of the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened they ran away and they went and told everybody what had happened. And, they, and people come out there wondering what in the world is going on here? I mean this was, a, this was ruining an industry of theirs wasn't it? Can you imagine? This entire herd of swine are destroyed. And, and he had the power to do this because they knew the man who had been demon-possessed. They knew what he was like. They knew he was totally out of control. His life was a total mess. And when they found him, they found him there with this man, clothed and in his right mind. I can remember telling my kids, that's what I'd like to see with them. I'd like to see them clothed and in their right mind. <laughs> Right? And this is exactly what happened. It's what Jesus produced in this man. He gave him internal peace because he delivered him from that which was destroying him. And this is what the Savior does. He can restore the soul. Down in verse 36, those who had been had seen it report, re, those who had seen it reported to them how the man was demon possessed had been made well, and all the people of the country of the garrisons and the surrounding district asked him to leave them we don 't want you around here you 're scaring us to death. they want him to leave. They were gripped with great fear, and so Jesus got into the boat to return over to Capernaum, his hometown in the place of his this is where he did everything from in the northern part of israel but the man from whom the demon, demons had gone out were begging him that he might accompany him he wanted to go with jesus and you look at this you go wow why didn't jesus let him go with him he, he, here's what he says but he sent him away and this is what he said return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. See, this, this is the assignment of every single believer who has had their soul saved, is that they are supposed to tell, go and tell the people of their house, and I'll show you in a minute what that means, that you are to go and tell the people what great things that God has done for you. But notice this, that this, that this man understands that, that Jesus is God. He is God the Son. He's the eternal Son of God. He is full deity, and so the man tells him what Jesus did for him. he cast out the demons, and for the first time in many, many years, this man had peace. He had peace. He was set free. And so Jesus wants him to go back and bear witness. He wants him to go back and bear witness. Now I want you to notice this. You can feel the rhythm of scripture. I I was reading a guy the other day and he said, God wants you to feel the Bible. I thought, what do you mean, feel the Bible? Yeah, it's leather bound. No, he wants you to feel the rhythm of it. And here's the rhythm. The rhythm is that God reveals himself. The person who sees this revelation uh, repents. Remember Isaiah 6? And Isaiah sees God, the Lord, high and lifted up. And it says, he fell on his face before God and says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. In other words, when you see who God is, you see who yourself is. You see who, who you really are. This is what the Bible says, in him was the life, was life, the life of God, and, the li- and this life that was in Jesus was the light of the world, which enlightens every man. What does he mean by that? He means he exposes every man you want to you want to know the truth about yourself, find out who Jesus is, and you 'll see the truth about yourself. A lot of things that I think is humility is simply pride, and we 're all like that and when you get up next to Jesus, you discover that he is very much unlike you he's glorious he's a glorious God. so notice what happens. Jesus tells him to return to his house and describe what Great things God has done for you. So he went away. Jesus says, go tell your house. What does he do? He goes into the city and starts telling everybody. Well, I want you to notice something. The word house here, oikos, means those people is the people in your life. It's your world. Those relationships that you have. Go tell everybody that you know, everybody that knows you, what great things God has done for you. That's the assignment for us as believers. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're supposed to go and tell the people that know us and that we know all that Christ has done for us. Isn't that a wonderful assignment? That is a wonderful assignment to tell people what God has done for us. And so he goes and does that. And it isn't just his... The house he lived in, it's the, the people that he knew. And so he goes throughout the city, and everybody he saw that he knew, he began to tell them what God had done for him. It was pretty dramatic, huh? Here's a guy that is a total maniac, a man has, whose life has completely fallen apart under the control of demons. Jesus delivers him, and now he says, I want you to go tell people what, what God's done for you. It's going to be obvious. In fact, I'm sure what happened when he started talking to people, they said, man, what happened to you? I met Jesus, and he changed my life. That's all he wants you to do when you come to faith in Christ. He wants you to tell your oikos, your household, those people in your life that know you. He wants you to tell them what Jesus has done for you. Now, one of the problems that we have is those of us who've been saved a long time. I've been saved longer than anybody here because I'm older than anybody here. But I, it's hard for me to remember what God did for me when I first came to faith in Christ. But I can tell you what he did for me last week. I can tell you what he's doing for me now, can't I? And can't you? What is Jesus Christ doing for you? Let me tell you, if you think, well, I can't even think of anything. Well, that means you, you aren't having the kind of relationship with Christ that God wants you to have. He wants you to actually know him. And he wants you to communicate with him. He wants you to receive from him. He wants you to turn to him instead of anything else. Jesus is all I need. You know, that's true. Jesus is all you need. And I want to tell you what happens in the life of churches is when we start figuring we need to do something about what's going on, you know, things aren't going the way we wanted to, what do we do? Instead of going to Jesus and saying, I think we've made a disconnect here. I think we're somehow disconnected from you because our hearts aren't full of joy anymore. Instead, we start thinking about things we could do like buying padded chairs. That's what I first thought of. But Jesus is all I need. He really is, isn't he? When you come to know him, he is everything that you need. He's the one who can give you Peace. And joy. He's the one who can give you a sense of absolute acceptance with the living God, to know that you are right with God. What an amazing truth. That's called justification by faith that God has received me, welcomed me, declared me right in his own eyes. And I know me. And yet he says, I am absolutely righteous in his eyes because of what Christ has done. What Christ has provided for me. And so I can tell you what He's done for me this week. And all I need to do is stay in touch with Jesus. I need to have a life in which I actually live in communion with Him. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is is showing people how to follow Christ. Well, how can you do that? One way you have to follow Christ, (laughs) you have to show them what you're doing, you have to be following Christ. In order to show somebody how to follow Christ. Now I want to tell you, we're, we're, I was reading the other day, a guy said, we're only two generations away. Every single church is only two generations away from becoming a Sino-church. That is, Christians in name only. That is, Christians who have no ongoing real intimacy with Christ, and yet they go through all the motions. And so for me to make disciples, I have to be a disciple. I have to follow Christ in order to show someone how to follow Christ. I have to have a prayer life if I'm going to show anybody how to, how to pray, right? Pretty simple, isn't it? And this is exactly what Jesus told this man to do. I want you to think about this. Jesus wanted to put an evangelist amidst those Gadareans. And who does he choose? The demoniac of Gadarea, <laughs> a guy who's, got, who's demon-possessed. And he delivers him and then he sends him back among those people and he says, now you go tell them what the Lord has done for you. That's what he has said to you. I know you're not demoniacs, but you know what? God's done wonderful things for all of you who are here who have rested your faith in Christ. And anybody here who has not rested his faith in Christ, her faith in Christ, you could come to know him today if you'll humble yourself and come to him in repentance and faith. And then you can tell your oikos, everything that God has done for you. Now, if you're a believer and you think, well, uh, I don't really like to talk to people about Jesus. It's kind of embarrassing. And they get embarrassed, and I get embarrassed. Well, they won't be embarrassed when they stand before the living God. My son sang a song at my dad's funeral. Call thank you, and it's about a kid who's thank- he's in heaven now, and he's thanking this guy that had told him the gospel when he was a little kid. You know what? When we stand before Christ, isn't it going to be wonderful to see people there that God, in His grace, just in His grace, He used us to speak into their lives the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a great privilege that we have to be representatives of Jesus Christ, the most glorious Savior the Savior who knows how to deliver people from danger, and he is able to save people by making them whole and giving them peace and giving them joy. That's not a fairy tale. That's reality. It's truth. And it's exactly what he does. So let me pray for you, and I'll stop. Our Father, we thank you for your your glorious grace in our lives. We have been so blessed. You brought the gospel to us through someone and under certain circumstances so that our eyes were opened and you, the God who said, let light shine in darkness, caused the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ to shine in our hearts. And we believed on the Lord Jesus and we received forgiveness, we received salvation, we received eternal life. You changed our lives. You put us in a family and forever we'll be in your family. You made us heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You've given us a spiritual gift. You've given us a life assignment to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We thank you. We offer our thanks to you today, Father, for your grace and glory and the way you manifest it to us through Christ Jesus. Thank you for saving us and loving us and making us a part of your family. So I pray that you'd use us, Father. Give us a heart, give us a desire, a profound desire to bear witness to what Christ has done for us. Wake us up, open our eyes, open our understanding so that we might be fruitful for you, we pray. As we leave this place today, in a little while, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts our need to open our mouths and speak for Christ and what he's done for us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.